Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful ass. Now, I know that's not necessarily poetry. However, it is. It is. (laughs) Morning rhymes with ass. Everyone knows that. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Beach and Black Podcast, an award winning, unofficial podcast on Prince. For over 10 years, giving you Prince news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tommy Young. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back. This is the Peach and the Black podcast. (laughs) I don't think I've ever said that before, the the Peach and the Black. (laughs) The Peach and Black podcast, of course. I'm completely sober for everyone listening. Let's introduce (laughs) the world-famous Peach and Black podcast from left to right in your speakers, in your headphones, player. You are the cross that's much too deep to bear. Toe jam. Like steam from, from a dragon factory. <laughs> <laughs> You're, on the wrong. You're on the wrong show. And Captain. If he's on the wrong show, what am I? The only love there is, is the love we make. Ooh. Ah, damn. Very damn. interesting. Very interesting. And it's me, Rob S., in the place to be in front of this microphone and V. So let's get into it. Let's get straight into this. It is 1987's album entitled Jill Jones. But who sang it? By Jill Jones. <laughs> it's the only album that came out by Jill Jones on Paisley Park Records. The one and only, her debut and her final piece of work. Just under 40 minutes. It's actually a Prince album with the pseudonym Jill Jones. <gasps> oh, <laughs> players going in. <laughs> He's going in, in on it. All right, we're about to get, get things started. Before we do our world-famous, infamous track-by-track album review, any random or specific comments about the context of this album? I mean, player just threw out a, a doozy there. Maybe we should go in on that. But anyone else got anything to say about this? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is it's a couple of years late. Like to me, like a lot of these songs are 82 yeah. kind of songs and you you know, you mm. hear some 82 stuff, you hear revolutionary kind of sounds and, it, and it's like 87, it comes out. It's pretty late. It almost sounds a bit dated by the time it came out, I think. Mm. 26th of May, 1987. Seems like a world away now. It seems like the Europeans like this album more than Americans did, but neither the album or the singles ever made any impact on the charts probably mostly due to the fact that warner brothers did basically nothing to promote it so that didn't help Mm. yeah that's a very good point captain the promotion for this record was i I won't say non-existent there was very little she went on a few um tv shows and did a few tracks here and there but yeah on warner brothers side there was not a lot happening i think 
which is kind of crazy because you, when you think about the point in time of Prince's career, this is basically peak period, right? 1987, mm. that's a classic year. Everything that he works on, more or less, turns to gold. He's got that Midas touch, uh, pardon the pun. So, Well, he, it's like two months after the release of Sign of the Times. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, not even. I don't know whether Sign of the Times overshadowed this or not. I mean, this is a protege album. One of the very early protege albums. I mean, okay, there were plenty before. There was a handful before, but when you think about his entire career, a lot more came after this. So this is kind of still, at least in my mind, the first wave, almost the end of the first wave of classic protege albums. Here's a question. All those early protege albums, Prince was trying to hide that he had anything to do with it. Mm. What was this album? Had he just given up on that at this point? And he's just like, everyone knew it was his album or was that still not known when it came out? I don't know. I think it's still not known. I'm looking at the inner sleeve (laughs) for the record and I was listening to this exclusively on vinyl, exclusively on vinyl or repeat, both on headphones and on speakers. And um, yeah, there's very little mention of Prince anywhere. I mean, there are credits on the songs, i.e. songwriting credits, and he's also credited as co-producer, but he's actually not credited as a musician. (laughs) It's kind of funny because he's not credited as a musician at all on this album. Which is funny considering a bunch of these songs are like one-man band Prince songs. Yeah, they are. (laughs) So this is very much, you know, putting the spotlight on Jill Jones and... Mm. It's eight tracks, eight pieces of music. There's a couple of singles in here. In fact, I think there were three singles. Three. Yeah, there you go. So, you know, on the face of it, you think, wow, classic era Prince, Jill Jones, who I think is, I mean, she does a pretty remarkable job, uh, but we'll get into that. But uh, you got some hot singles that, you know, maybe didn't get on the charts, but it's kind of a, a big mystery, a big question mark, and maybe Captain's point about the promo or the lack of promo, maybe that was why a lot of these songs failed to chart and the album failed to make a bigger impact. I always wonder with this I, album as well, because we know that there was supposed to be a song in the Purple Rain album that Jill was supposed to feature in, and obviously that didn't make the final cut of the movie. And I've always wondered if this was his like way to say, oh, sorry, we have to cut your scene, so here's, here's a protege album for you. <laughs> I don't know, just... Very interesting. Possible. A lot of speculation. A lot of uh, intriguing comments. Total speculation on Peach and Black. Something ToeJam mentioned to me the other day was in the early years of the Peach and Black podcast, I used to bring up random Amazon reviews and I've got one. I went back and did it again. I haven't done it for years and years. And I I looked up the reviews for the Jules Jones album because sometimes I can read a comment and it perfectly describes what I wanted to say, but I just couldn't figure it out in my brain. So it's good to read other things. So from an Amazon review on the Jill Jones album by some guy called Armando, who could even be listening, who knows? He said, <laughs> the be- he said the best way to describe the sound of this Jill Jones production is a hybrid between Prince's Parade and Sign of the Times albums. That huh. comment mixed with, you know, a lot of early 80s, 82, 84 tracks sums up this album for me. It's a it's a good way, I think, to say it. Hmm. Interesting. So, final thoughts, everyone. Now that we've spoken about the album in depth, final thoughts. <laughs> Pretty much summed it up there. One more thing. Full disclosure, I've only ever heard this album in the last two weeks. 
You're kidding you me. Call yourself, you call yourself a Prince fan. Yes, but I never called I myself got, a Jill Jones fan. <laughs> I got so much crazy, crazy reaction and responses from you guys about Exodus. And I will, I will just quickly add, before you guys go crazy at me again, that was warranted. <laughs> that was very, very warranted. However... There is no excuse for not listening to this because this is basically a Prince and Jill Jones collaboration, god darn it. And it pretty much is, out of all the protege singers that he had, she's probably one of the best singers. Ooh, here we go. All right, let's get into it. Let's start this, this episode and go deep into the songs. Track number one. It's basically me, Apoca, but it is entitled Intro in brackets, Baby, You're a Trip, and then it goes into... Mia Boca. Which was the first single, of course. I'm going to hand this one over to Captain. What are your thoughts on this opening track, My Mouth? <laughs> How sexy is that? <laughs> okay, there's a lot of things to say, and I'm going to go first, so I'm probably going to say them all. The music for Mia Boca was heard in Under the Cherry Moon in some section. Uh, MC already said, released as a single. This was the first single, 6th of April, 87, so about six weeks before the album came out. It means uh, it's Italian for my mouth, my lips, maybe, if anyone was wondering. Claire Fisher on the orchestration on this track. Apart from that, this is Prince, one-man band, doing his thing, as he does. Straight off, you've got Claire Fisher's cool strings. I mean, what a start to an album. It's just, it's good. So as soon as you hear it, you just know what it is. And you got some cool vocals from Jill before we get into that track. More great strings, and along with that madhouse-sounding kick drum, which he loved so much, and it's just straight here exact sounds exactly the same but yeah this song it's a cool vocal melody it's very percussive the way she sings it there's some cool bass throughout this track i've got to stop saying cool both synth and real bass i was gonna say this really sounds like an early 82 or 83 track when i first heard it and i look it up bang that's exactly what it is Mm. and but it's not hugely memorable to me there's other songs on this album which are more memorable but this is a good listen it does get pretty busy in parts between the drums and the synths and the massive strings and Jill's vocals. It gets pretty busy. Uh, there's some nice synth parts around five minutes and a trumpet comes in. 5.30, you've got some big like orchestra hits come in and then that's about it. But there's also an extended version, which was, I guess, the 12-inch single. There's a few differences, different synths playing that main riff and it's very dancey obviously made for the club so everyone can dance like maniacs. But I don't think Prince was involved with that remix. That was some other, Arthur Baker, some other guy. But he obviously had the master tapes because there's some cool breakdowns where you can really hear all the different parts, which is cool. But uh, yeah, good song. Good song. The end. Captain, did you say April 6th was the single? Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay. The Son of the Times was March 30th, and then this song drops the mm. week later. A week later. That would have, yeah, no wonder it got totally ignored. <laughs> well, I mean, aside from Warner Brothers, do you think Prince put any energy into this, or was he too busy with Son of the Times? Uh, yeah. 
it's like, and I'm sure she's talked about it in interviews, but she's waited years for this album to come out. And then it comes out like around the same time as Sign of the Times and it's just totally ignored. Overshadowed. Yeah. Oh, she couldn't have been happy with that. Yeah. I just think how crazy like 87 is. It's like Prince brings out Sign of the Times. It's like Crystal Ball was triple album, gets cut down to two, right? He's got this album come out like Mad two House. months later. Madhouse albums. Madhouse. And then he's got Sheila E two months after that. Yeah. Like the third Sheila E album. It's just the black like, albums all being put together as well at that point. Yeah. It's just like. It's mental. Yeah. All right. All right. Player, what do you think of Mia Boca, the song? Yeah. I really like this song. It starts out with the cool acapella intro, aside from the lush Claire Fisher strings that is underneath it, of the uh, closing track with Jill scatting the lines of that song over the top. And that leads straight into the heavy Lindrum beat. And it's the sex, this song. It's yeah, like you can know straight away, like if you're not, you know, a Prince follower, if you don't follow his music and you listen to this song, you'll you'll know that it's a Prince song. It just oozes Prince. It rigs Prince. I really like the recording or the production or the mastering or whatever it is. It sounds so crisp and clear, especially compared to his own albums during this era. Like when you compare Parade and Son of the Times to not only this album, but particularly this song, it just sounds so good. Like it's nice and clear and it's loud. And I just love to hear Prince's version of this song. So I like also the video sort of the quality of it. it. It it actually looks like a music video instead of everything else that came out of Paisley Park, which looked like it was recorded on sound stages and inside studios and stuff. It actually looks like, you know, it's got that sepia look about it. It kind of looks like a Herb Ritz directed video, even though he didn't direct it. Like it kind of has got that look about it. I actually have trouble watching that video because that opening scene where you see Jill like walk along and shaking a butt and it's just filmed on her ass. Like I just I can't concentrate. Um I'm gonna go to yeah, YouTube I'm, for a second. Hang on. <laughs> I'm good. So yeah, I really like this song. The only thing I don't like is if there was something that I don't like about this song, I don't like the vocal delivery. I just it just think it's odd. You know how like, you know, only had one love of since I was 12 years old. Like it's just weird. Like, I just, like, I don't know if it's a, I'm imagining it's a Prince guided track and I can't imagine Prince singing it that way. So I just, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, it's and, a bit dramatic and she, she does seem to like to um, oversing now and then. Yeah, yeah. And like, I don't really notice it on any of the other tracks. I mean, here and there a little bit, but it's very noticeable in this track and I don't know why it's sort of sung that way if that was her directive or if it was suggested by prince or if i don't know it's just i don't like it but i do love the song it just every time i hear the way it's sung it's just like yeah i I don't dig that but apart from that i this is like one of my favorite songs Hmm. well i will side with uh, what you and captain have both said so far like the minute that string intro comes in, which is bloody awesome, it just creates a vibe and a mood. And it's really simple, but it's effective. You've got the upward and downward chords, and this is just the string intro I'm talking about. So it's really, really nice as an opener. And then it goes into the song. And I agree that the vocals are a bit dramatic and a bit over the top. And I agree with players' comments around, um, I'm not going to do the impression. I think you you did a good enough impression, but that... That was a great example of why I'm not a fan of the, the, the <laughs> those opening vocals. 
but they do one thing they do have and i'm i'm really wondering whether or not from a timing point of view this makes any sense but she sounds a bit madonna like the only thing is i think the vocals were tracked in around 83 ish and that was before madonna really even made a full album so it's kind of yeah, intriguing I, I that. from that perspective. Like you can hear Madonna, but it's before Madonna. So in a way, Jill's vocal performance sounds like Madonna before Madonna was on the scene, which is a big deal if you think about it from a perspective of music history, even though there may be no relation between them. Just kind of weird. The way that yeah. works is Prince wrote it pre-Madonna, but after Madonna came out, which was like 83, 84, and then this came mm. out in 87, they kind of, I guess, look at the track and say, well, how we execute this? Right, let's do it Madonna style. Maybe, I don't mm. know. Possibly, yeah. November 83, she recorded her vocals. And my understanding is that most of the vocals were done much earlier than when the album was released. So we're listening to a, a, a young, I mean, she, she was really young regardless, but I mean, it was, it was Jill Jones from around the 99 era, certainly before Purple Rain, it sounds like. Let me add one funny thing on what you just said. My brain still hasn't made the connection that this Jill Jones singer on this album is the same curly blonde in Purple Rain. I just, my brain <laughs> just hasn't, those two aren't the same to me. It's just my brain she can't figure very, that out. Well, I'm looking at the album cover, the, I've got the record in front of me, the, you know, the full size thing, and she looks very different. <laughs> <laughs> to that purple rain waitress with the short hair. Yeah, I remember when I first bought this album, it was years, years later that I realized, oh, that's actually the girl from Purple Rain because that album cover, like, she looks totally different. She looks, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, when you see the silhouette of her face, like, you can see the shape of the nose and stuff and you're like, yeah, that's the face from Purple Rain. That's the same, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah, when you just see her normally with the dark curly hair and it just looks so different. The best photo is the one on the back of the album where she's got the dog. There's actually a guy walking a dog the on the yeah. front of the album cover. But on the back of the record, there's a, like, and the dog's obviously like kind of, he's almost like trapped. Uh, there's no gentle way of saying this and I'm not being rude, I don't think, but kind of between her legs or just in front of her. But I love that picture and I understand why they didn't use it for the album cover, but I actually prefer the picture of Jill on the back of the record because it's just so cool, so playful. She's like cracking up, smiling, laughing, and it's, it's really, really cool. But anyway, let me stop looking at pictures of Jill Jones and go back to the music. She gets pretty wild in her delivery around two-thirds of the way through this track. <laughs> After the, I can't help myself, all that kind of stuff. She gets pretty wild. She actually starts really not hamming it up. She starts kind of turning the um, rawness to 11. And certainly this song is not the best example of that on the album, but it's there in this mm. song as well. The thing that I love about Prince's involvement in this song, because this is really his song, it's a super simple beat, but it's super weird. And it happens all throughout this record. And it starts here. This super percussiveness and also all of these little bells and whistles. I've lost track of the amount of times all of us have said, there's so many bells and whistles in this song or there's so many little effects, but they just are. He just has this way of laying down a really basic foundation and where most artists would just let that go or leave it there, he starts tinkering around and like he's got the Lynn snare drum at a really interesting pitch. He's got reverb on the cymbals, which are probably still Lynn cymbals. He's got the bass 
you know, keeping the keeping the rhythm going in many respects, you know, the bass undertow. You know, the interesting thing about what you're saying is a lot of his earlier protege albums, like, like especially like the Time albums and stuff, they're very basic. They don't have all the bells and whistles. Like he either didn't have time or he just didn't care because it wasn't his album. But because mm. this album took years and years in the making, he had a fair bit of time to just tinker and add stuff whenever he had time. So I think that's why this album seems a lot more, you know, like well-produced in that way than other earlier albums. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, this is a very sophisticated album and we'll, we'll get to the other songs, but as far as Mia Boca, it really sums up a lot of the best elements, I think, of what comes later. Uh, on the other seven songs. But yeah, I also love the fact that it's not in English. I mean, the lyrics are in English, but the song title is in another language, which uh, someone already mentioned is Italian. And look, this is not pure poetry or anything like that, but it's kind of interesting. The only lyric that I wonder about is, I have only had one lover since I was 12 years old. Having lovers at 12 years old might not be the best idea, but anyway, <laughs> there's that. And then I also wonder about the the line in the song where she says, the very next line in the song, she sings, but there's something about you, baby, that's got me cuckoo. And then I think of the song by Sheila E., which I believe came out around the same time, but this was written a lot earlier. So there's so many bloody references in Prince songs, and you never know whether this inspired that or the other way around. That so, 12 years yeah. old line is just such a classic early Prince line. It's like, I'm being provocative. Here we go. It's just so yeah. him. It does make sense, doesn't it? He, he was he was using that sort of stuff on Controversy, on Dirty Mind, even a little bit on 99. But anyway, I've Shock said value. way too much about this song. I will just say one thing, which is, there's another lyric here. What is it? To voila la mia boca, you want my lips. This is getting sensual, that's for sure. Toe Jam, what do you think? I like this song. It's good. I'm going to talk about the intro first. It starts with the Baby You're a Trip intro with Claire Fisher. But I don't like her vocal at that point. I think it works well at the end of the album. But at this point, right at the beginning, to have this sort of, uh, what would you call it, like solo voice just singing. And, and she's, I'm not going to say she's a bad singer, but she's not like the greatest singer. And it kind of sounds a bit cheap and you, there's some obvious edits in there as well where she sings finishes a word and then it fades away and fades in with another take and it, it just seems a bit not quite happening there at the beginning alan vizzuti gets a trumpet solo a muted trumpet solo in there uh, alan vizzuti was a well-known trumpeter back in the 80s who wrote a lot of like um textbooks and this sort of thing like on trumpet playing so there's a bit of brass stuff in there for you but yeah the Mia song I agree with it, what everyone said. It's a nice chilled tempo and a nice groove, clearly from 82 or 83 around there. I think that the quality of the sound that Player was talking about, I think it reminds me of um, the way the Lindrum's recorded. It reminds me of um, Wonderful Ass. Like, even though that's the yeah. recording we've got of that is, is uh, from a cassette, probably. Like, it still sounds like it's probably recorded in the same week or with the same, like, mics or reverb settings or whatever. It always reminds me of that. You got a lot of Mixolydian in there again, which Prince loved in that 82, 83 era. The bass is going, you know, four, three, ones. So again, playing around with that four and the three notes. You got a real classic Minneapolis keyboard bit where she's got, I'm going cuckoo. And the da 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 That's just so Minneapolis, yeah. so Prince. And then right at the end, you get the big um, Claire Fisher brass section doing literally literally playing the 1999 riff, that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. It changes a bit at the end, but it's like it's they're playing the 1999 riff. 
There you go. I thought I heard that, and then I'm like, and I didn't go back to it. I'm just like, oh, it sounds similar, but but yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I think Play was saying as well. It's like there's so many princisms in this song. Um, and it's a good fun song. It's a good tempo. It's a good delivery. Like Jill Jones, the thing about Jill Jones is she's, she's kind of, she is kind of a bit cuckoo and crazy, I feel. And and um, so she's not the strongest singer, but that element comes through in a good way. So that's that's kind of cool. Uh, so that's a good opening track. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's, that's song number one. And, and just before we go into song number two, from a, um, I guess, uh, heritage or ancestry perspective, I believe that Jill's mother was African-American and, and she has a little bit of a Native American heritage there, but her father, who was also a musician, I believe he was a drummer, was Italian. So I wonder if the Italian influence got her to sing Mia Bocca and you know utilize a bit of um, her Italian lingo there, which is kind of interesting. And I'm sure Prince would have loved that as well. So I wonder whether or not Prince actually wrote this song as my mouth, <laughs> you know, named it in English, or whether or not he named it Mia Bocca based on, um, you know, a conversation he might have had with Jill. I'm imagining that she was the inspiration for that, for using the Italian. I mean, that's what I would bet. Uh, unless it was Sco- Andreas Cacigliacci from the restaurant in Chili Sauce. <laughs> but who knows? Okay, let's go into track number two. There's no subtle way to say this, uh, you know. It's called G-Spot. That's the name of the song. And uh, I'm going to hand this over to Player because, well, you're Player. God darn it. Open this up. Uh, open it up. I always give you the sexy ones. <laughs> you do, open you? it up. Oh, <laughs> hold it yourself. <laughs> Open up this review of Gene Spot Player. Uh, here we go. The first thing I've got here is it's all about that bass. It's just popping everywhere and it's really dominant in the mix. It's it's really good. It's a long groove. It's a, it's a great song. It's one of those ones that kind of stretches out. The lyrics, they kind of take a letter of each letter of the word finally, spells out mm. the word finally all the way through the track, which is kind of interesting. There's, there's something about the music though, especially the horns. It's, it's kind of, I don't know what it is in my mind. It's kind of like, I'm not going to say stripper music, but it's it's got these kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about, I can't even put my finger on it, but it's just, it's yeah. a bit of, <laughs> like the horns are like, it's kind of got this kind of cheesy element to it. I don't know. And yeah, and she's, I guess she's looking for what every guy's looking for, the G spot. Yeah, the groove spot. Yeah, exactly. And like when you listen to this song, you can totally hear like Prince singing this song. Like what's pretty interesting music wise is is the, the inclusion of bongos right towards the end. Oh, yeah. And he's got the bongos <laughs> going and then it fades out. So, I mean, it's kind of a straight groove and then it's it's got that kind of element, percussive element at the end. And yeah, it's almost like a cowbell moment, but it's a bongo moment. <laughs> We'll get to the cowbell later, don't you worry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is kind of like a revered classic Prince track. Like it's known as a kind of like a Prince song and here it is. So, Well, it is known within the hardcore community, yeah. Prince's hardcore community is a classic song. And I think a lot of it might have to do with the fact that there's so many cool bloody bass parts in this and 
is some really cool funky musical elements. But this is oh, and the other thing I should say, player, when you said it spells out finally, I didn't know that. <laughs> that shows you how much attention I was paying to that aspect of the song. But that's kind of cool. So I learned something new. F is for frustration. That's the first one. <laughs> F. I, that one I know, but I never actually followed through all the way. And again, the artwork for this single, I guess, was quite tasty, if I can say so myself. But tasty. Yeah. Tasty G-spot. <laughs> Big tasty. So I'm just going to go straight in. To the G-spot. Get on in there. That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> this is a filthy track. I mean, Jill is filthy and so is Prince in the best possible <laughs> way and maybe the worst possible way. It's just filthiness. I mean, just look at it. I'm looking at it again at the album, the record. Stop looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> G spot, Jill Jones and Prince. You just got to imagine, you know, being in the studio. I'm imagining just the two of them coming up with this sort of stuff. A great combination. And speaking of great combinations, you add that strange bass line or bass lines, cryptic ish lyrics. And you just add, I mean, Prince is all over this, but Jill, she just does something to this song. To Toe Jam's earlier comment about Jill not bringing uh, being a great singer, I'm not going to go down this tangent too far, but it depends on what you mean by great singer. And and I think, Toe Jam, you also said, you know, but she has something that kind of, there's a uniqueness to what she does. So she brings a uniqueness, but she also brings a rawness and, and a personality. She performs this song. In fact, she performs everything on this album more as a performer rather than a real singer, which I, I kind of find really, really uh, cool to listen to. So look, between Prince's nasty bass playing and some weird electro P-funk type effects coming in and out of this this track again, I have to admit that finally, in the end, <laughs> this song uh, brings brings it on home, that's for sure. Uh, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this song's sludgy and it's dirty. Uh, the bass is just on that one, cranking out on that beat one. The slight chorus effect on the bass. I like, well, I don't know if I like it, but I'll, I'll, it's kind of interesting, like the finally part where, where he's spelling out the word. And then after every word, there's like a musical thing that goes with it. So it's like A is mm. for America. And you hear the horns go, bam, 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 like a real kind of James Brown American kind of thing. And then it's like L is for the lust we share. And the sax goes, wee, 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 wee. so it's kind yeah. of like, what do you call that when the music's kind of going along with the words? There's a word for that. Uh, but, you know, the song is basically just F minor. And then the chords are just doing these rotating between like a diminished chord to a standard minor. Minor chord, just you know, on on quavers, just dun 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 dun, dun, dun. and that just kind of runs all the way through the song. And he does it on different sounds on the keyboards. There's mm-hmm. lots of Minneapolis stuff in there again, lots of just little bits and princisms from '82 sort of sound. You got the big clap, big hand claps, every oh, yeah. everything. I like the way before the chorus, um, you have that suspended note, like that note just hangs, and then it's sort of whoa 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 whoa, and it's sort of you know mm-hmm. it's, someone's reaching the G spot anyway. That's the feeling it gets. Uh, but yeah, that, that's another just real classic thing from this era where he holds those suspended notes and then there's a big whoa, whoa, whoa that leads in. Um, another interesting brass thing happening on this one, John Faddis plays trumpet on this apparently. So John Faddis was another one of these um, American trumpet players that was known. Um, I've got a CD of his from somewhere called Hornucopia from 1991. He hmm. did some work with Dizzy Gillespie before he died and all this sort of thing. So he's a, he's a, he's a well-known trumpeter as well. So there's some... You know, interesting trumpet players on this one. Good to see. Good to hear. Uh, so, yeah, G-Spot's a great song. It's sludgy and it's dirty and it's funky. Well, Toe Jam, you mentioned John Faddis, the trumpeter, but there's also – you've also got Randy Brecker on here, which is who's a pretty uh, – what's oh, really? the word? I missed that. Yeah, Randy Brecker's on here as well. So I don't know who's playing the the solos or the bits that you're talking about, but it might – it could be Randy as well, and he's quite an esteemed 
uh, trumpet player. Wow, so. trumpet, John Faddis and Randy Bricker. What a combo. That's kind of crazy, actually. The horns aren't even like a, like, it's not like a big feature part, which is, you know, they're just like uh, session musos. Yeah, this album's got some freaking kick-ass session musicians, and I haven't even gone into two of my favorites, so uh, we'll keep it going. And it ain't Prince, uh, just to let you know. There's, there's some real classic musos on here. Uh, Captain, what are your thoughts on this track, G-Spot? This track is good. Just on what a couple of you said before, something that Toe Jam said made me think that this song is similar in a lot of ways to Erotic City, which mm. I didn't really notice until... Mm. Right now, <laughs> there's your brother sister tracks there, Toe Jam, right there. G Spot and Erotic City. Do not use the words brother and sister and G Spot <laughs> ever again on this podcast, please. And something MC said was about Jill Jones and talking about her singing ability. I think whatever she might lack in actual singing ability, she makes up for with this, like you, MC said, this rawness. And, and enthusiasm, like mm. she's she makes up for whatever she might be lacking in other ways. I think, like she, mm. we'll get to that later. But that's not this song. Okay, what I, what I'm going to say about this song? This song was originally recorded by Prince and the Revolution, 1983, and I think Toe said before this was going to be in the Purple Rain movie along with Electric Intercourse. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking of the song. Wasn't Wednesday going to be in um, Purple Rain with Jill Jones? Oh yeah, that too. That too. That too. I think. Mm. But then, yeah, it was replaced by The Beautiful Ones, which, you know, you can see why. But, yeah, this was originally recorded by Vanity. Well, after Prince did it, then Vanity did it for possible inclusion on that album. Um, then Jill Jones did it eventually. This was released as a single, 8th of August, 1987, two and a half months after the album was released. And, yeah, this song, it's a pretty funky track, classic drum track. Everyone said little funky bass slaps all over the place and that main horn riff is just catchy you just keep hearing that i don't want to say this about every funky jazzy horn thing that prince ever did but it could be an early sign of madhouse it could be you never know it's got hmm. that little bit of that sound but there's not that much to the track it's just your classic early 80s prince minneapolis soundtrack it's him doing his minimalistic early 80s synth stuff which is great don't get me wrong but the track just sort of chugs along got a big horn solo at 212 at 2.55, there's this weird digital sound, which I really like. It also surfaced on other tracks around 87, 88. Is it that yes. randomizer it's a pre- sound? That's yes. a preset sound on the roll of D50, which I have. Yes. But if it was on the original track, which was from 83, it's from somewhere else earlier. That's I think that sound that you just brought up, Captain, is that weird electro P-Funk effect that I was talking about. It's like... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. It's just weird. It's really weird. It reminds me of George Clinton so much. It's a, such a cool sound. It was on some track on Love Sexy and a few outtakes around then as well. It's a 255. You'll know it when you hear it. Uh, some cool little bass parts in the last minute and a half and then yeah bongo solo to fade out what a great way to end a song it's better than the Latin outro I'll give him that which he always used to chuck on when he ran out of ideas but yeah bongo and, solo and why and not this was before banging on those bongos like a chimpanzee too so there you go <laughs> Prince ever the but pioneer supposedly there was some orchestra parts overdubbed in 86 which I'm guessing would have been Claire Fisher but I've listened to this a bunch. I cannot hear any orchestra parts on this track. It's just synth and horns from what, everything I can hear, but who knows? Maybe they were added and then not used in the final mix. But for anyone who hasn't heard it, go listen to the original Prince version. It's pretty funky, especially the last minute or so. He's 
It's good stuff. Oh, one more thing. There's a cool little guitar bit which comes in in like the last 40 or 50 seconds. It could be a synth, but it really sounds like an electric guitar. It's a cool little thing. It's not a big solo. It just does a couple of lines, but it's cool. The end. And that was actually Eric Clapton. Did you guys know that? No, I'm joking. Oh, just, sure, just sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Satriani, so different, then. <laughs> different session musician. It was Steve I. Uh, okay. G3. Let's go into track number three Violet Blue. Violet Blue is the name of this song, and I'm going to hand it over to the Toe Jam Man. Toe Jam. This is an interesting song. I, when I started listening to this, doing this review, I started writing straight away, oh, this song is kind of average and I don't like this bit. But then I listened to it, I'm like, oh, this is actually not a bad song. It's an interesting one. Um, there's sort of a story to it, something about Violet Blue Eyes, obviously. That's got that nice vocal intro, so that Christmassy kind of sound, some of those jazzy kind of chords layering those big long notes. It's kind of interesting. And I love the, the funky intro, the way it starts with the drums and the bass. And um, you got the classic Eric Leeds. As soon as he comes in with that hook tagline, you're like, that's Eric Leeds. You know it's him straight away. Um, don't have to check that one on Prince Vault. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the song kind of descends. You know, the chords are descending, the vocals descending through the verses. There's a real classic spoken verse part towards the end, which just, to me, just reeks of Prince. Like, you know, Prince <laughs> does these kind of emotional speaking verses. And then there's the French bit where the accordion comes in in the background and, and she's like crying, saying, the eyes were violet blue, the eyes were violet blue. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the bass is real funky in this one. Again, so much funky bass in this. Uh, and there's some kind of interesting, scary kind of synthy bits at the end where they're just kind of hanging on those notes, sustaining notes, kind of moving up and down just one or two notes. It's quite eerie listening to it in the headphones. So yeah, this is an interesting song. It sort of does some different things. It's not like your standard ballad. It's not a standard funk track. It's sort of a cross between the two. It's a bit sad. I don't follow the story enough to really know what's going on. Maybe the, maybe the vocals could have been a bit louder to lift because I don't listen to the words, so I don't know what's going on there. But yeah, it's interesting. It's it's worth, it's it's probably put in a good spot. Like, what are we up to now? Track three, track four? Three. Um, mm, track three, yeah. You know, it's sort of, it's in there. It's an interesting kind of song uh, before we get on to some of the, um, maybe some of the more stronger ones. We'll see. Hey, what do you mean you don't listen to the words? Captain's the one that doesn't listen to lyric. You can't, there can't be two of you on this show. <laughs> one thing, Toe Jam, just we sang that part so well and demonstrated. That's a really interesting part because there's some weird chords going on and she's singing some weird notes. It's really interesting. we have got to stop saying interesting too. Why don't you tell us how interesting it is, Captain? Okay. Eric Leeds on saxophone. Atlanta Bliss on trumpet. Claire Fisher on the orchestration. How do you fail with that? Like after the previous track where I'm like, oh, it's a bit of horns there. It could be a bit of early Madhouse. And then I get to this and you're like, come on. This was recorded right in the middle of the Madhouse sessions for the second album. Like literally like on a day off between Madhouse sessions. So it's got a very similar sound to some of those tracks. And just like those tracks, horns aside, all instruments, Prince. He's doing everything. So the song, interesting little vocal intro before we get straight into the Madhouse. And it's that really nice line from Eric, like Turjam said, 46, 48 seconds in, just straight away, you're like, oh, that's Eric Leeds, listen to that. It's great. And I like that slappy bass sound. It's really crisp and clear, which is how I want a bass to sound like. You want to hear it? I just don't want this sludgy, muddy thing, which is not good. But three minutes in, we're still going, nothing really mind-blowing happening. And then at the yeah, 322, you get these weird chords and the piano accordion comes in and she sings weird stuff. And... 
Yeah, 349, we get an orchestra solo, which is pretty cool. Oh, it's nothing amazing, but it's um, there is sort of a horn solo going along with it. Then it fades out. Yeah, it's okay. Like Tojem said, it goes some different places. It's not your standard track where you just, at least twice in this track, you'll be like, oh, okay, we're going there. So that's cool. Hmm. All right, all right. Uh, player, what are your thoughts on Violet Blue? Silence. He hasn't fallen asleep again, has he? <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm here. I was trying to find the button, find the G spot. Okay. <laughs> yes, Violet Blue um, starts off with those light and airy harmonies at the start, which is pretty cool. It kind of seems like it's synced with a, a synth and sort of played with it. It's it's kind of an interesting effect, and that kicks in with that unmistakable Prince groove and Eric Leeds horn. Like Tojam said, it's you know it's unmistakable. It's it, it is. Eric Leeds and the highlights of those bass accents popping off everywhere. The lyrics, I don't know. It sounds like she's captivated by a guy she sees on the street, like a stranger and imagines a future with him getting lost in his eyes. It's just, yeah, it's a weird concept. I don't know. Is that the guy on the album cover? Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, his eyes must be strikingly violet blue because, you know, she's, (laughs) she's just singing about it too. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting inclusion on the album. It's probably not one of the strongest tracks on there, but it's I guess it's an interesting segue to other things on the album. It's kind of past this song. Yeah, it's funny how this seems to be more almost like a ballad type track, and then it's followed by what what I would consider is the ballad type track. And usually on yeah. Prince or Prince related albums, track number three is the ballad. So. This kind of changes changes things up slightly. Uh, Violet Blue, I like this groove. It's kind of sultry, even though the song itself, the lyrics aren't sultry. The vibe is kind of sultry. So she brings she brings the feel. That's what Jill Jones does. One of the best vocals I think Jill has ever done on this track. She shows a really good range, which on the first two tracks she didn't do as much. So this is the first song on this album where she actually shows the range of her voice. I actually kind of think that maybe we're being overly harsh because if she's following Prince's lead vocals or guide vocals on a lot of these songs, maybe her extended range might not be given a chance to shine. But anyway, that's just a bit of a theory. Her sense of rhythm and timing as well is really, really good as a vocalist, especially on this track. She just kind of delivers every line with, I I believe her. Like I believe what she's singing about. The only problem for me is that, it's not even a problem, but the only kind of issue, I side with the player and I guess... To a lesser degree, what you said, Captain and Toejam, it's not really that special. And for me, it was a one-two punch that opened this album, and then it kind of dips ever so slightly with this track. But it's not bad. It's actually not a bad song. It's just that it's not as good as the uh, the first two. So with that, <laughs> we can go into track number four, which is called "With You." And I might just open this up by saying a few things and then hand the mic around the room. What I'm going to say about this song is that although this is a Prince song, as all of these basically are, this is so much better than Prince's original version of this. So much better. Jill's vocals are so much better than his for this song. It's not even in the same dimension. Wait, Prince did a version of this? (laughs) Jill's... (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear that. 
Jill's vocals are so much better than his for this song, It's Kind of Crazy. It's ridiculous. So she does a really good performance and she kind of takes up, again, I spoke about her range on Violet Blue, on With You, it's it's on display, it's there. But the thing that really does it for me, I'm not a huge fan of this song, by the way, but the thing that really does it for me on this album is to Toe Jam's point earlier about great trumpet players on you know, great session musicians, this song has Steve Gadd, who's one of my all-time favorite ever drummers. He is behind the kit on this song. Oh, really? Steve Gadd? Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. I couldn't believe it. And Tony Levin on bass. It's a bloody ace rhythm section. I don't know what they're doing on this song. I really don't. <laughs> but every time I listen to it, I love the fact that I'm listening to both of those guys. And their parts are pretty basic. They're not overly sophisticated, but they do a good job. I just like that fact. That element for me elevates it above the mundane. But at the end of the day, this isn't this isn't the greatest song. The lyrics really, I guess my eyes can only see as far as you. I mean, I'm no poet, I have to say. It ain't uh, the grand progression. <laughs> there you go. So uh, with that, I'm going to hand this over to Player. Well, isn't this interesting to cover not only a Prince song, but a Prince song from his first album? So I was just thinking then it would be an unusual for that he would revisit this for an associated artist. But coming to think of it just now, it's it's probably like David Z production. And that's probably why he's got session players. It's probably like Prince has <laughs> got probably nothing really to do with it. Um, to me, that's the weirdest thing about it. Like he revisited yeah. his own track, but he didn't actually even play on it, which is the weirdest thing to me. Yeah. Strange. That, that, that is a good observation. It sounds pretty similar to the original song with some more sparkle and embellishments. It doesn't really add anything more to the original in terms of value. If you listen to them back to back, you get the same kind of feeling. It, it, for me, it doesn't work for me. And, I, and the reason is this... This song was on Prince's first album and really when I listened to that first album of Prince's, he's like a kid. Well, he is a kid. Mm. And there's a certain naivety in all of those songs that Jill Jones, like Jill Jones is a feisty character. Like you you see her online and stuff. I mean, she doesn't hold back, you know. Mm. She mm. And, and so like for her to do this kind of naive song, it, it just doesn't seem like her. It's, uh, yeah, it's just not her because she's she's just like, she'll tell you straight up, like, you know, mm. she doesn't give a fuck. Like, she'll tell you. Whereas, but maybe there are many different sides to Jewel Jones. Yeah, maybe, but I haven't seen it. I just see the, the, <laughs> the sort of straight up, no nonsense kind of vibe that you yeah. get from her. And I don't know, with this song, it's not a bad song. It's just, for me, it's the tempo of the song. It's just too slow for me. So it's it's not a bad song and it's not a bad delivery and it's not, there's nothing bad about it. It's just, I can't get through it just solely for the tempo. Bit it's of just, a sleeper. It is, yeah. That's it for me. Okay. Toe Jam, what do you think about this one? Is it a sleeper in the worst sense or is it a sleeper in, in the best sense? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think this is pretty skippable, to be honest. I just wrote Prince reuse this question mark. He must have thought something of it. Like, I mean, it's an okay ballad. I totally agree with Player that there's there is an element of naivety is the is the right word I think in the original and his kind of tentativeness in in recording it. Uh, there's something kind of private about it. Whereas this one, it's just it's a cover. It's not any better. Um, I don't think yeah. it's not, it's not it's the same song like in the same way. 
I, I don't like the the guitar. It's too heavy for this song. Like it chugs in it and it's just, you know, it's supposed to be a quiet little ballad. That's the way I hear it anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. You know, they decided to put a throw a Prince cover, cover on there. I, I, I'm guessing Prince had nothing to do with it. I'm guessing he's just like, why don't you do, you know, this song? And Jill's like, yeah, let's do that. And then they did it one day. I, I don't think there's anything special about it. It's pretty skippable. Hmm. <gasps> Captain, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this was on Prince's second album and this is basically just a straight cover version. But like Player said, the weirdest thing is Prince mixed and produced the track, but he had zero hand in actually recording it, which seems really weird because he doesn't like people doing his songs. He wants to do it himself. So I find it really strange that he let other people record this track. That really confused me. I don't know. But like we've reviewed the Prince version of this song when we reviewed that album. So there's not that much to say. This version does get a little bit, just a little bit jazzy in parts with that piano playing in the but then you've got the guitar which sort of sounds really country so it's a weird mix and um, and then the second verse you get these country sounding synth strings come in as well all they needed was the cowbell it would have been perfect but um jill's vocals are fine this song doesn't you know take too much vocally but like uh, mc said she sings it better than prince did prince is like really like weak sounding on this song jill's got a bit more grunt which is good uh i like when the drums come in around 248 gives it something and then that lead line on the guitars sounds cool i don't mind that backed with the synth strings but yeah it's it's okay there's nothing wrong with it the end okay let's go into track number five where we start the second half side two and uh, yeah track number five all day all night Jam. Oh, I'm glad you picked me. This is far and away my favorite song on this album. This this rocks this song. I love it. Um, it's relentless. It reminds me of the dance electric. It's just that beat just goes the whole way through. It's just smashing it. Something on the negative to start off with, though. There is a noticeable drop in, in the sound quality, like the production of the recording. Like going from, you know, a freshly recorded with you with like great session musos to all night, mm-hmm. all day. And again, another old revolution track. Um, and I think, you know, even Wendy and Lisa and Bobby Z, they're all on this one. Um, yeah. This is an, a revolution recording. But with that, we know that it's got that warehouse sound, which, you know, for the Purple Rain album had a certain quality about it. But on this album, it sort of sticks out as all the, you notice there's a noticeable quality drop, I find, which is a shame. So I've written it needs a remaster. This song remaster would be killer. So you've got that classic live um, Lin drum sort of sound, that just relentless Baby I'm a Star kind of beat. Uh, some dark chords in this. Um, I've wrote down the the song Teen Town by um, Jacob Pastorius and Weather Report. It's got some similar kind of flat five kind of chords and this descending kind of thing happening in it. Uh, you got, again, another spoke, a long spoken intro, which just reeks of Prince. And I believe that Prince's original recording is actually circulating. And with that, it's interesting. If, you hear, if you've heard that version, the, the bass line in the verse, it's very kind of generic. And it almost sounds like Mission Impossible. So it's it's. I think it's good that he's changed that. He's made the bass more kind of Larry Graham funky slides and stuff, rather than this sort of cheesy, almost like Mission Impossible pop bass. So that's good that he made that change. Uh, lots of funky, distorted bass playing along with the vocal. That's cool. That part. 
funky chorus. You know, it's just it's just such a good chant that you know, all day, all night, you can be my baby. Mate, that's just so cool. So so much fun to sing along to. Minneapolis again, and so many those synthy sounds. Classic stuff. Uh, what else we got? There's an it's a classic, you know, Purple Rain era existential crisis. What am I? Am I who? Who am I? What am I? Like it's yeah. just straight could have been seamless on the Purple Rain album. This song, uh, and then even towards the end, you get some like um, housequake. You get that housequake floor yeah. tom sound coming housequake. in. So yeah. you know he's got that, and then he's he's putting on some of these newer sounds. He's junk, 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 going in there. Really cool. So yeah, got some toms in there as well. Tom solo again. Sort of reminds me of the dance electric thing that we reviewed last year or so. But yeah, this song has so much in it. I love the relentlessness of it. I love the delivery. I love the sort of crazy Prince existential crisis kind of feeling it has. Uh, it's just funky. It's so good. All right. What a review. Uh, before I hand this over to someone else, uh, when you speak about sound quality, I think this was recorded, at least the, I guess, the band performance. Wasn't this recorded live? Yeah, or- 7th of June, 84. First Avenue. Yes. Yeah. So this is this is part of that famous uh, in the Prince fan community, very famous um, birthday show. Yeah. That's kind and of. And it's interesting. Cool. I think I think he revisited it maybe like two thousand eight, yeah, two thousand nine, around there. He played nine, it. Nine, yeah, I think yeah. in yeah. played, played it a dance, yeah. couple of times. It's like, oh man, I should have brought it back longer. Anyway, I thought you were about to say, man, I should have bought a an international airfare flight <laughs> the minute those Paris concerts were announced for the for, <laughs> to see one concert. To check out one live. In gig. fact, now that uh, I think about it, I think didn't they release like a a um a sound check recording of it? I'd have to maybe. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was a release. Yeah, of it. Okay. I'll dig that up. It's kind of interesting that he played that. I think the concerts were kind of promoted or advertised as all day. Or I remember the poster said all day yeah, or all night. That's right. Yeah. So it's very interesting why he would have been listening to that song or used that song as an inspiration. Who knows? But maybe someone can tell us about that. Now, let me take it to Player. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I have to share Toe Jam's enthusiasm with this track. This is straight 1984 Revolution Funk. Uh, it's an energetic workout, straight groove. I really like this one. Toe Jam already mentioned it, but in the back end of the song, you've got those housequake kick drums chugging through. Aside from the groove and the lead lines, there's not a lot to it because it's just that straight workout, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, those 2009 renditions, they were really good. I'm really glad he brought that back. What's really interesting is this song is on this 1987 album when it was recorded in the Revolution era, 84, but then the Revolution uh, disbanded the year before. So it's interesting how like the Revolution track turns up on on this album in 87 mm-hmm. or so. Yeah, but it's really sort of energetic and it's probably a great way to open up this second half. You know, you flip the record over and it opens up with another banger. So, great song. Okay. Captain, what do you think about this track, song number five? Yeah, after With You, it's good to have this to wake you up again. You flip <laughs> it over, it's good. This track, as soon as I heard this, like just straight away, this track just sounds familiar because it's the revolution using all their familiar sounds that everybody knows and their instruments. So straight away, it's like a familiar track, which is cool because it's got that sound. But this is one of the tracks among others on this album that while it's pretty damn good, I think it still can't outdo the original Prince version. There's just something about his early tracks that they just had this energy that just couldn't be replicated later on. Like the Prince version of this, Toe Jam said, it has a relentlessness 
but the Prince version is even more relentless than this Jill Jones version. But I think it's in the bass in the sense that just they're even more relentless on the original version. But anyway, this song, this version, it's such a funky beat. Everyone said 32 seconds in, you first hear that the same pad from Housequake. And it's just cool to hear that, to think that Side of the Times just came out, what, two months before this, and he's still playing with that sound. That's cool. And the intro is basically a minute of this talk singing, but the music underneath is just some funky stuff. And yeah, that synth hook on the chorus, it's just another classic synth hook. God, he was just so good at doing that. Like early 80s, he just, no one could touch him doing those bloody, those synth hooks. Oh, I can't even say, I don't even know. Anyway, in the verses, I like the bass and the guitar both play along with the vocal line each time, the second line each time. It's really funky stuff, but uh, it's a good song. I think the original is better. All right. Uh, this might be the best song on the album. I think this is my favorite mm. song on this record. Could be. I, you know, if anything, it wasn't released as a single. It wasn't released as a B-side. I think that's crazy. It was hardly ever played live, which I think is crazy uh, outside of those 2009 performances. This is just a shit, man. Like this is Prince firing on all cylinders. And then... What takes this, I think, into another territory? It's the Purple Fox. <laughs> purple Fox. And when I say Purple Fox, I'm talking about Jill Jones here. Ah. This is a standout song, but she sounds possessed. She's turning hmm. it on. She's turning me on. I'm not going to lie. The Revolution are in great form. They're playing on this is sick. Best lyrics on this album. You've got to read some of this, some of these lines. I mean, I'm surprised. And now that I know that Toe Jam doesn't listen to lyrics, I think it leaves only player and myself. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful ass. Now, I know that's not necessarily poetry. However. Oh, it is. It is. There's, there's a- <laughs> <laughs> morning rhymes with ass. Everyone knows that. <laughs> I, I watch as you make love to others. Disgusting as it seems, it intoxicates me. Insane. Like, this is just craziness and yes the the purple fox the, the white sock but i love the way that jill and again this is prince's lead vocal but uh, we we presume but the who am i you know what am i what's going on all this sort of stuff is kind of crazy oh are these my lips or are they petals for some from some crazy flower oh are these my hips if they are <laughs> then they're some kind of powerful it's just classic prince rhyming like He's kind of silly, and uh, it's very much the case with with some of these lyrics. And the classic, as I read from my inner sleeve from the vinyl, right underneath all day and all night, it says, oh, is this your mouth, or am I swirling in some wet tornado? And I find it really, really Ah. funny that they actually decided to print that on the inner sleeve of the record. Very, very interesting. (laughs) So uh, craziness, when I'm in your arms, I feel like Play-Doh. Really, Prince? Anyway, those are the lyrics. Half of the song is as good as it is for me because of what's being sung. But the other half is just Jill. She's just an outtrack. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And I think the thing that really does this song the most justice is how tight the arrangement is. It's super tight. Prince was known and will always be known as someone who used space really well, especially in his funky songs. But here, the arrangement is so tight, there is no space in this track at all. Yet, somehow it still creates this super groove that feels like there actually is a little bit of space for it to release some tension. But if you really listen to it, it's a dun 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 It's constantly, it's incessant. And the thing that really happens by the end of the track is it becomes an earworm, which is why I think it's the best song on the album. The chorus and the chant, it's super memorable. 
and the groove is unrelenting. As I said, the bass pops are nasty. The use of the drum pads straight out of the song Housequake. That's really, really cool and really welcome. And I think this, the star of the track is, is Jill. I mean, yes, the instrumental's great and all this sort of stuff, but Jill fully gets into this. I mean, she gets super wild, super freaky. It's a gutsy, sexy, playful, adventurous performance and uh, two thumbs up from me. If this was the Roger and, Roger and Ebert show, I'd give it two thumbs up. 502. Like, just listen to like the some screams she does. She just goes off. It's great. Mm. Maybe someone was tickling her. Who knows? It was crazy. It's crazy. But what you're saying, like, about the groove is like, that's like, everyone knows Revolution is not my favorite band. But as much as NPG can kill a groove, that's another thing, like, the Revolution were known for. You know, they can play Baby I'm a Star for 20 minutes. Once they just get a groove, they just smash the crap out of it. And they can just go and go and go. And it's super tight. It's super funky. And they can just keep doing it. And that's, I think, another reason why this song just sounds so good because it's them, it's the revolution doing what they do. It's like America, like they can just play the crap out of that for, for hours, just get into that groove and just go mental. It's good stuff. It's such a great example of that. All right, let's go into the next track for love. Do most Again, a Jill Jones and Prince collab, it looks like. At least that's what my inner sleeve says. Player, what are your thoughts on this? This was released as the last single from the album. And one of the highlights I've got written down is the guitar. It's so nice. It's so clear. And you hear, you can actually hear Prince on the background vocals on this track. It's pretty noticeable. But this is pretty much a straight pub song. It's nice. Um, it's got nice homework from Eric Leeds. Um, the screams that Jill does is more like, James Brown than Prince, but you could tell like she's again doing the guide track. But for me, it's just a song. There's other songs on this album that just are stronger. Just a and song. It is, yeah. Um, oh, what? <laughs> Come well, on. I think, I think there's other songs on this album that are stronger. So I'm a bit mystified as to why this was the third and final song selection as a single. Someone needs to go listen to this song again. <laughs> well, I'll go and feed the dog. <laughs> no, it's a good song. I mean, it is a good song. I'm just saying there's stronger songs. I'm not saying it's a bad song. It is a good, song. A good pop song. Come on, let me go. I'm going to go. <laughs> okay. He's, okay. he's, uh, I can't, I can't let that go. the seams. <laughs> Captain, it's your turn. Rebuttal. Go. This song, like Player said, third and final single, released February 88, nine months after the album was released. Wow. Last ditch attempt. It was. It really was. But you got Eric Leeds on saxophone. Like, it was so weird. All Day All Night was with the revolution. This is the family. It's Eric Leeds, Jelly Bean Johnson, and Paul Peterson. Yeah. And this is the only known song recorded in studio with the family members because the actual family album was... Prince doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. So this was like the only full track from, from that era that they recorded. So it's very unique in that way. But as soon as that main hook came in, I recognized it straight away from Prince playing it live with Cream, 2010, 11. And Prince is all over this track. You can hear him sing very clearly. Yeah. yeah. I just like these just straight mid-tempo sort of little rock pop songs that he did. This, this sounds like Cream. It sounds like Raspberry Beret. It sounds like everybody get on up. It's just got that mid-tempo. It's just, I like this sort of song. So obviously I like this one. Uh, the song itself, you know, I can see why he started playing this with Cream. It's very similar sound, similar tempo. And that main hook comes in 16 seconds. It's a very catchy little thing. And the guitar's doing all this stuff in the background through the verses. That sounds great. 
And we've mentioned it before, but here we go. It's the cowbell. It has arrived. Most obvious, 55 seconds in. That's how you know it's a good song. It's got the cowbell. That's Mm. how you know. The chorus itself is pretty basic, but it does the job. There is some bloody great guitar harmonics at 2.32. Listen to that. Uh, Just before that, 2.25, Prince really steps up on the vocals. And there's a cool little guitar part at 3.28. And just like on that other track, Toe Jam said, as soon as Eric Leeds plays the first note, you're like, that's Eric Leeds. He's he's doing his thing. You know it's so obvious straight away. That's great. That's at 3.30. And somebody confirmed this. At 3.47, I hear Prince say something like Coca-Cola. I have no idea what the reference is meant to be about, but I can hear that. So if anyone knows anything, let me know. Last thing, (laughs) I'm not totally sold on Jill Jones singing in such a deep voice. I think that is not her strongest vocal style to sing in this really deep voice. She can do it. I just don't particularly like the sound of it, but that might just be me. I don't know. So that's all I got to say. This is a good song. I like it. Yes, the end. <laughs> all right. How do you follow that up? The song is for love, and this is your time to talk about it. Toe Jam, take it away. Get your cowbell um, ready. Players got to listen to this song. This is such a cool song. It's so sloppy yes. and funky and sludgy, and it did never hit me that what Captain was just saying that effectively you got four rhythm sections on this album. You got the Prince solo stuff. Then you got yep. the family on this one, and then you got the revolution on all night, all day, and then you've got you know the Steve Gadd and, and and that that rhythm section. It's crazy. Yeah, with you, another total different band. Fascinating. Uh, so yeah, first thing I wrote was reminds me of the family, and I didn't even think to look up, and it's of course it's Jellybean and and uh, Saint Paul. So hmm. there you go. Uh, you got the kick drum in the left speaker and the snare in the right, so it's got that sort of love or money kind of feel as well. It's basically a blues, you know, you got this big four seven chord happening, you know, on the you know, coming in on the fourth the fourth note of the scale, the classic blues chord, you know. Great horns, Prince's vocal is clearly audible. And in fact, it gets more audible as it's going on. That by the end it's mm-hmm. it's basically a Prince song. Classic distorted bass leading into the chorus. This sort of thing. And then there's a bit about kaleidoscope of musical colors. And there's a bit of a oh, weird yes. breakdown bit. Do you know what I heard that? The first thing I thought was the intro to the Peach of Black podcast. <laughs> it's a <laughs> yeah. kaleidoscope of whatever the line is. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, what? <laughs> Storage house of ideas. A kaleidoscope yeah. of musical colors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I really like that weird breakdown bit. You know, Eric leads a solo in that part in the background. It's really cool. Check that out. And then you got a really weird, hang on, got to go feed my dog at the end and it fades out. It's like, what is going on? It's just a bit of a country twang vibe to this. And I, and I really like it after um, All Night All Day. I think they work really well together because that one's so relentless. And then this one comes in and it's like, it's just smooth, you know, it's just it cruises along. smooth and funky and sludgy. So good. It's good. That's my review. Well, I haven't got sludgy, but I certainly am thinking of not necessarily ice cream, but I'm certainly thinking of cream. And Captain did mention this, but this is basically the precursor to the song Cream, isn't it? I mean, it's very, they are in many ways very different, but it's very similar. Yeah, the underlying groove and that kind of horn lines, that's very, very cream esque. The beat and the rhythm is in intoxicating in cream but it's not really intoxicating here that's the only thing i will say so i think cream is a much better song however when i hear this i think of many other songs by other artists at the time like it sounds like the pop funk songs that people like robert palmer were putting out even tina turner in the mid to late oh, 80s yeah. I think was creating this this sort of stuff so it kind of sounds middle of the road adult-oriented 
pop music in many respects. But I think Jelly Bean and Eric Leeds, they add some really nice touches I mean, Prince's guitar flourishes, including a super funky breakdown lick around the halfway mark. Super cool. But there's also a bit of an 80s Rolling Stones feel in the vocal delivery. The 1980s and really since the 80s, the Rolling Stones haven't put out too much great material in my opinion, but they did have a couple of, you know, Mick Jagger had a couple of good kind of poppy tracks that he that he played around with. I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it reminds me of, but it's something along those lines. And maybe even, I'm stretching it now, a little bit of kind of MJ era bad production as well. I could go on and on, actually. Aretha and George Michael's duet. There's something about this song that is very comparable to a lot of those references that I just mentioned. Now that you've said that, I can see why this was chosen as a single, because it is similar to what was out at the time, yeah. I never even thought of that. It was, and the the thing that that I like about this song is that it's probably the least princey piece of music on here. And for that reason, it always puts a smile on my face. And in addition to that, the smile widens or deepens because it sounds like they're having such a bloody good time recording this. Like Jules sounds really enthusiastic on this track for some reason. And the music is so kind of up. Everything's really, really up and positive and funky and the vibe's cool. So uh, yeah, I like this one. I like this one, but it's certainly not a classic by any stretch. But it's a it's a cool song. Not to mention this tambourine, <sighs> like all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with that, we go to track number seven, "My Man." <laughs> Let me have a look around the room here. Who looks... Uh, everyone's got a very similar facial expression. Okay, uh, Toe Jam, take it away. Uh, most skippable track. The lead line gets annoying. It sounds like an Apollonia 6 outtake. Oh. And the best bit is at 2 minutes 28 where the song finishes and you just hear that funky Lindrom beat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's done. Wowzers. This is just a song. that Nothing changes in it. It just kind of goes through. It's pretty stock standard. Lyrically, uh-huh. musically, I, I don't hear anything. Nothing grabs me in this at all, really. I'm not even sure how much Prince involvement there is. Is, is he playing all the song? Is he playing all the instruments? One or? man band. Okay. Ooh, well, I OMB. Mean, well, I mean, that's not going to redeem it for me. It's, it's, <laughs> I normally skip it. Jeez. Okay. Just a song. <laughs> well, from Toe Jam to the creator of Just a Song, Captain, what do you have? <laughs> One man band performance by Prince. <sighs> nice acoustic guitar sounds in the verses. But yeah, it's a pretty basic track. I like the main riff and the vocals, the harmonies and the bridge come in. The bridge has a cool chord progression. I like that. Uh, There's a cool little bass part at 149 just before the second verse comes in. And all through the second verse, you've got this cool guitar on the left, but it is slightly annoying because it's just a tiny bit out of tune and it's got a tiny delay on it. So it's just, it's very weird sounding. But 206... It sounds like a key change in the bridge, but then we end up back in the normal key in the chorus. So it's, again, I didn't have any instruments with me, so I couldn't figure out what he was doing, but that's, it's an interesting little thing, whatever he does there. And I like the bass in the chorus, playing some nice stuff, but there is a horrible percussion sound. I'm not sure what it's supposed to be. It's there right at the start and it comes back later in the chorus as an outro. It's just not a good sound. I think that sound is is what I hear it. And I just go ah, skip. Yeah, it's a it's a really grating sound. 
but I'm just having a look here. This year, I, I probably will agree. It is. It could be the most skippable, apart from maybe with you. Maybe it's a tie, because yeah, all the other songs that I can see are better than this one. So okay, it's not great. <laughs> it's okay. Wow. I, I don't mind it. Okay. When it comes on, My I don't man. skip it. Man, oh man, oh man, oh man! It's an OMB production, not to be confused with OBM. Haha. <laughs> yeah, this is not great, is it? But I don't know if this is most skippable. Hmm, interesting. Is is with you most skippable? Is it my man? I don't know. One of the two. What do you say about this track that hasn't already been said? Jill, I guess, has some conviction in her vocal. And again, her screaming, the really kind of roughish screaming towards the end is pretty cool. But it's just an album track. If anything, I think this song would have been a disaster had Jill and Prince not been involved. Because I think they do just enough to save it. But that's about it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. This could possibly be the least you've ever said about a track. <laughs> Which is saying something. It's just there's not a, a whole lot to see here. Lyrically, musically, it's unoffensive, it's shiny and it's glittery. It's like, I don't know, something by Big Star from the 80s or something. I don't know. It just doesn't do much for me. Play it. Meh. I'm not really feeling this one either. I agree with Tojam. I've written here in my notes, this sounds like something left off the Vanity or Apollonia projects. It has that same kind of delivery. Mm, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, it has some nice chord changes. And for a song to be put out by anyone else other than Prince or one of his protégés, then this is probably a good solid song for them. But it's not that strong for like a Prince standard. So... And I think the other thing that I don't think Prince writing from the female perspective always works. And I think this is one of the examples of that. Like he writes, cause this is called my man. And so like, he's writing it from a female perspective and I don't like, I don't know if he's necessarily good at that. Like he's great at what he does, but like when it comes to stuff like this, it's just like, nah, that's, I'm not totally sold on it. So I think that's four out of four on this one. Oh yeah. It By could be four out of four, but I probably... <laughs> Out of all of us, I'm probably the one who likes it more than anyone else. Probably, yeah. Because it is just a, a mid-80s pop track. So unless it's really horrible, I'm not going to hate it. <laughs> anyway. All right. I think that's enough, uh, that's enough down-tempo reviewing for the time being. Let's go into track. Bring it home. <laughs> Bring it on home, baby. Bring this trip to a conclusion. See what I did there? Uh. Track number eight. It is the album closer, the final song. It's called Baby... You're a trip. Captain. Oh, okay then. I'll try not to take everyone's notes, but here we go. Originally recorded July 1982 by Prince. Uh, you've got Claire Fisher doing the orchestration again, plus another one-man band performance by Prince. So this song has... I think since he didn't release this track at the time, like other tracks that he hasn't released, he mined this song because there's so many elements in this song which I hear in other songs. Yes. But let's start with the most obvious one. Someone might have, I think Tojem already knows the connection as I mentioned in my intro, but the only love there is is the love we make. When I, As soon as you said that, because when I was doing my review, I was like, there is a song that is right on the tip of my yep. mind and I just can't picture it and that was the one. Yep. Again, I only heard this album recently. I just never thought of listening to it and then we're going to review it, so I started listening to it. And as soon as I heard this, I'm like, 
I think I've heard the Prince version of this track a long time ago, but yeah, it reminds me of something from Emancipation, and I just couldn't figure it out because it just sounds like an Emancipation track to me. <laughs> and then, you know, to my ears, this is basically an early version of The Love We Make. And then he like reworked it totally for Emancipation. And I thought, I've got to be the only person thinking this. But of course not. I get online, I look it up, I search Emancipation and, and this track, and, you know, there's a bunch of people like, oh, this, okay, again, Prince fans, what do you know? So, and, I, and then I listen to them back to back, and they're even in a similar, if not the same key. It's like they're very similar tracks. And I still haven't decided which one's better. I mean, The Love We Make is one of the better songs, if not the best songs on Emancipation. But this, I think, is really good as well. So mm. let's go. What else is there? There's just so many things. The piano parts at the end of this, when Jill's doing some acapella stuff, yeah. that is exactly the same as the start and the end of the NPG track piece where mm. he's doing that artist and all that funny voice stuff. <laughs> it's very similar to that. And also in this song, there's hints of Do Me Baby. There's hints of Nothing Compares to You. There's hints of a door. There's so there's many things in this track. lover, yeah. Yep, yeah, that of just like just a couple of lines of lyric or musical things. He totally mined this song for everything it was worth. I just think this song was too good to be released. I think he knew this song was too good to be released as it is. He knew he could just strip so many elements of it and make a bunch of songs instead of like, <laughs> instead of blowing his load all on one track. Wow. <laughs> he thought, I'm gonna get the most out of this song. I'm gonna make eight songs out of it. And that's what he did. So, um, this is a really good song, and I like it a lot. So that's that's all I've got to say. <laughs> Noticed I left the lyrics, I left the vocals. Someone else can do that. I just that was my big yeah, thing. Yeah, like, you left a bit of stuff. Joe, Jim, what are your thoughts? Okay, so I mean, this is 1982. It's got that 1999 album era sound to it, totally yes. with those like distorted cymbal crashes and that sound. I mean, it's. It's just so classic. I mean, 1982, my God, that's got to be my favorite Prince here, that album and this sound. You know, chord-wise, it's just rotating between four major back down to one, which is a very common thing. Uh, but what a great chorus. You know, it's got that flat seven, two to one, you know, uh, which is the love we make part, I guess. I wrote down, You Make My Sunshine, Still Would Stand All Time, these big layered vocal gospel-y sort of songs, bluesy yeah. gospel-y sort of things. And I also wrote, this song could have been really cool if it was recorded by the 92 NPG, I think. I reckon they could have taken this to the stratosphere, especially with the big oh, horn hits. Don't know. start me on that. Uh, oh. <laughs> you imagine, could you imagine Sonny T and... Um, oh, the bass. Playing that drum bit. Oh, man. And it ends with a big... It ends like the beginning of the album with that intro, but this time it's not edited, which is better. And you've got that major chords just suspended. So it's got that real churchy thing like let's go crazy at the beginning, that organ just sort of suspended mm. and sort of slightly bending a bit. And she's saying all this stuff over the top. It's a real kind of preaching moment kind of thing. It's really cool actually. But, yeah, this this has a certain feeling to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely want to listen to this again um, this week, I think. Like just noticing that connection that Captain was saying to the Emancipation album, it certainly does sound like proto-Emancipation. Listen to this back-to-back -back with the love we make and just tell me you don't hear similar things. Oh, yeah. 
But again, I just keep coming back to this point, which just hit me in the last 20 minutes. Like this album is a summary of Prince up until that point. You know, it's got all these different rhythm sections. You know, this could have been on the 1999 album. Like another song could have been on the Family album. Another song could have been on um, the Sign of the Times album. Another one is a is a cover of something from his 1979 album. I mean, it really is mm. just a showcase of Prince up until that point. It's fascinating. You know what this is? This is like an early version of Crystal Ball, but with someone else singing the songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's an unofficial bootleg, officially released album with a different singer. It is. It's a really interesting way to think about it, isn't it? You think of it's Crystal Ball, like protege yep. Crystal Ball. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's my review. All right. Well, we are closing with a bang, aren't we? Player, what are your thoughts? It is closing with a bang. I really like the vibe on this one. It's really sort of seductive and I've got in my notes international lover vibe about it. Mm -hmm. Um, The chord progression is sexy and bluesy. It's just got this like vibe to it. It just, yeah, it's really good. Sort of a bit darkish. The beat and the piano embellishments are the highlights for me. Something in the water, don't compute. That's a nice lyric reference from the 1999 Mm. era. Yeah, and I can totally hear Prince singing this. I'd love to hear his version of it. And Estate, if you're listening, yeah. (laughs) And it's a great way to close the album. So, yeah, I really like this track. It's like picked up from the second last track and finished off with a bang. Oh, the horns. No one even mentioned the horns. What about the horns? Yeah, they're nice. Three out of four ain't bad, but here we go. Ah, uh, here he is. I think no, that he's you tricking. guys... He's tricking. <laughs> I know. Captain thinks he's onto me. He's going to electric in the corset. Batman it. Let's go. <laughs> okay, I'll just say this. I don't know if this is as good as you guys say it is. Ah. Uh, it's actually or better. Or if it's completely better than what you guys <laughs> say it is. I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm having a hard time figuring that out. This could be... You know, I said all day, all night, but this could be the... This is the best. This. Call it. This is it. This is the best. I mean, this closer, is it actually the best track on this album? It's kind of got a little bit of everything, as you guys have just said. Like, great composition, super diverse. It really is, to quote an earlier reference, a kaleidoscopic song. Great background vocals, stunning wind arrangements, and the, the playing by those guys and girls. I mean... Jill brings it on home with her vocals again and again and again. Great range by her. Possibly the best example of her range on this album. Super feel. Great attitude. I mean, this is just a stone cold classic Prince song. And I I have to do this. I mean, I don't think we've ever done this. But massive shout out to Janice Gower, Edward Green, Bill Hibble, Betty Moore, Francine Walsh, Terry Schoenburn, Henry Ferber, <laughs> Don Palmer, Isabel Daskoff, Robert Schuschel, Pat Johnson, Irma Neumann, Karen Jones, Ron Folsom, William Hymanson, and Pam Gates. And those were just the violins. Someone didn't do his notes and he's stretching. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Alan Devreach, Margot McLean, Maya Bello, Pam Goldsmith, Jorge Moraga, Norm Forrest... <laughs> And that was just the violas. I see you found the list of Claire Fisher's orchestra as I'm looking at right now. Then there's the cellos, Fred Sankora, <laughs> Mary Louise Zayn, <laughs> Arkatov, Raphael Kramer. And that's before you get into the basses. Yes, I said basses plural. 
two base players, Arnie Eggleston, <laughs> David Stone, whoever they are, but shout out to them. And trumpets by the great Robert Findlay, Ray Brown. Is that the Ray Brown that I'm thinking of? Bob Bryant, Hal Espinosa, trombones by Charles Loper, Morris, Repass, Gannett Brown, Garnet Brown to you. And what? You threw in four French horns. David Duke, James Thatcher, Joseph Mayer, and Marnie Johnson. Don't forget the tuba, Tommy Johnson. No relation. <laughs> Tommy course. Johnson, what a great tuba name. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, yeah. wait, wait till you hear this next one. The Woodwinds, starting off with Dick Mitchell, Bob Trucario, Gary Foster, Arnie Eggleson. Wait a second. I mentioned him before. He's on bass and on woodwinds at the same time. <laughs> this is like Toe Jam, but 40 years earlier. Does he live in Minneapolis? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Joe Soldo, David Edwards, and John Lowe recorded at NOLA Studios. Absolutely fantastic. Such a massive shout out to all those orchestra players because they are so critical to this album and so critical to this massive big bang finish of a track. That is, baby, you're a trip. I don't know what else I can say. Should I read the lyrics? No, I won't. I'm just playing with you guys. <laughs> I think at 4.51, you hear, um, uh, what's his name? Timmy. Tommy <laughs> Johnson. Yeah, you hear him like empty his water key onto the, you hear of a few drips. So. <laughs> a few drips. You got to listen carefully. It's in the left speaker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, this is, this is great. Uh, it's really, unfortunately, you guys have said so much about this that there's really not a lot to add. Everything's great. Even the lyricism isn't too bad on this track. This is just Prince in one man band, although this is not a one man band studio track. You know, he sat down at one point and put this all together, did the basic tracking. Crazy. Crazy that at the age of what, 24 at the time when he would have initially tracked this in 1982, 24 years old, and he's putting together such complex arrangements. Now I know a lot of that is down to the orchestra, which came years later, but still, still a great track. Wow. What a closer. We haven't had a closer like this for a while. I think we found the G spot, gentlemen. (laughs) Finally, this episode is over. Thank you for listening. Eight tracks of pure magic. No, it's not over. It's not over. Let's let's go around the table. Final thoughts about this record. Captain. Overall, this is a very good album. I think... Jill does oversing here and there. There's a bit too much of her screaming, trying to show, hey, look, I can sing, you know, I'm not like some of the other Prince protégés. I can actually sing. Here's me going to prove it again and again. But yeah, we know that. So you don't need to go so over the top. We already know that you can sing. But <laughs> She can sing. Out That's of, the crazy thing. She can, yeah. But out of the many female vocalists Prince worked with over the years, she's definitely up the top end of that list for sure, compared to many others I can think of. But it's just it's such a shame this album didn't get the recognition it deserved because there's some great songs, some, some great singing. It's a very good album. And like, it's a very Prince album, as we've said, as most of the protege albums sounded like Prince albums too. But I think somehow Jill got a bit more of herself in this album. And it's not just a Prince protege album with a puppet singing all the vocals. She's actually put her own stamp on it, which is good. So that's all I'm going to say. The end. Very good. All right. All right. Player, final thoughts on this record. I have to agree. This is like one of the stronger associated artist albums and it is pretty much like a Prince album. 
there's at least five or six really strong tracks, only, you know, two or three that are just middle of the road or weak. And I see it in this sort of Prince discovery of associated artists as like a sleeper album. I mean, it, a lot of people love it, but it doesn't really get talked about a lot. There's others that sort of overshadow it. So it is kind of like a hidden gem, mm. if you think of it yeah, that it's way. Yeah, it's always about the time and Sheila E., Exactly. Yeah, this, yeah. this one sort of gets forgotten about. Like, like I said, I only found this two weeks ago. I'd never heard it before. Right. Yeah. And it's great. It is. I still good. can't get over the fact that you have never heard this before. This, this should be a crime. You should get a, a virtual spanking on this show for like, like I, I probably <laughs> twice in the last twenty years. This album sort of appeared, and I'm like, oh, I'll, yeah, I'll go and listen to that one day, and it just never happened. I don't know. It's insane. What can I say? This is one of the great protege albums. Yeah. As I now this is know, one one of the great Protege albums. I may put this in my top three or four ever, ever. It's it just was, crazy. It, here in Australia, it was hard to find. It is a, a bit more readily available now, but initially, it's it's pretty hard to find. So that's the thing. It's it's kind of like like I was saying, a sleeper thing. It's you know you have to go out of your way to find it and all that. But when when you do find and get into it, it's it's a great trip. Yep. Yeah, and the thing about. This is that it's criminally underappreciated, possibly because of the fact that it was underpromoted, and then you know I think yeah. it's out of print now, and so it's such a shame that a an album of such great music can be I don't want to say forgotten, but unless you're a Prince fan or a Jill Jones fan, you know if you're just a casual music lover, you probably don't have never heard this, and there's some fantastic music on there. So yeah, I agree with you guys. I think this is a, I actually think it's better than a great album. This is a classic. This is a classic Prince album. I think it stands up with not his best eighties work, but it stands up with, you know, one tier below that. Certainly better than Batman. (laughs) (laughs) To me anyway. Here's a question. Uh, It's too hard to answer, but how would any of you rate this album? If this was a Prince album, that came out like say between parade and sign of the times. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. Well, yeah. You know, you know what's hard about that is that as much as we've been saying Jill Jones does a great job on the vocals, which she does, she has that crazy kind of vibe coming through. Prince would have killed. But I, I feel like, oh man, some of these songs, Prince would have killed something like Baby You're a Trip. Oh man, he would have killed all of these songs vocally, I reckon. So that might have taken it to another level again. Mm. There's one thing for me, though, about this album that you guys raised earlier, and it was the reference to Crystal Ball. And it's the fact that it's kind of like a patchwork of songs from different eras. And so Mm. there's a little bit of inconsistency there because it kind of spans from like 82 to 87. And so it's just like something about it that's... That lacks that consistency, but overall, it's 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 quite good. But a lot of Prince albums are like that too. They've got yeah, you know, there's a bunch of new songs. And like, here's the question of you from like four years ago or whatever. Mm. I do remember when I listened to this. I remember I got it pretty early. I remember actually I had this on record. This was one of the few ones that I had on record, and I actually had to rip it from the record onto a CD. And then it was years uh-huh. later that I actually bought the proper CD. But I remember when I got it, I remember putting it on and I was hoping to be, oh, this is going to be like the album between between I'm um, Sign of the Times and Love Six. And then I put it on and I'm like, most of the albums thinking, oh, these sound a bit dated already for that time. Mm-hmm. But now looking back on it, it's really fascinating to see where each piece came from. It's a very unique protege album from that perspective because if you look at Sheila's stuff, it's all from a given period. You look at Madhouse, it's all from a given period. Even the time stuff, a lot of it is from a given period, right? Whereas this is like 
all over the place, all over the shop. And then you've got so many musicians and then the orchestra and then you've got Prince, but he's not really credited that much. And, and then you've got Jill. It's a one-only out, one-off album for Paisley Park Records. It's just there's so many unique and interesting things come along with this, even outside of the music. This album, like we've said, it's got a fair few tracks, 82, 83. So did Sign of the Times, like Strange Relationship. Mm -hmm. There was a bunch of early tracks. So around this time, he was looking back and like, I can use that, I can use that, I can use that. Bring it up, bang. No wonder everyone's like, again, I've said this before. Oh, he's so prolific, all this stuff, because yeah, he's got stuff in the vault and he just pulls it out and no one knows. There's a storage house of ideas. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, in when Sign of the Times came out, no one knew Strange Relationship was bloody five years old. No one had a clue. We only find out that now with all the books and all the information that comes out later on. So it's it's very interesting. OJ. I mean, I think I think I've said everything that summarized my my views. I think it's a strong protege album. I think Jill's unique kind of voice comes through, her craziness comes through. But at the same time, I think she really is just following the guide vocals most of the time, which is pretty standard for a Prince Protégé album. Um, so it's not like something like, um, you know, the Come To My House album where, you know, that is I see that as more of a genuinely collaborative project between Shaka Khan and Prince. Whereas, you know, th- these albums are like, they're basically Prince albums with a female vocal and I get the impression he did that just because he kind of got sick of his own voice. In fact, he would say that at times in interviews and things. He'd say we'd give songs away because he got sick of hearing his own voice and he wanted to hear someone else sing it. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's a solid album. There's some really, really good stuff on here. Four, four songs that I really rate really highly as, you know, classic 80s prints. But there's some couple of skippers uh, which kind of pull it back a bit as well. <laughs> and I think... See what he did there? I think um, Play's got a point as well as it is a bit sonically inconsistent, like the quality sort of drops at times and then comes back up in terms of the production. So, But it is what it is. It's a great, funky little Prince album. I've got a question. Do you think this is a strong album because Prince didn't totally 100% man the project? Because it's like David Z. Possibly. Could be a factor. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't always been known to make the best choices on something. So, yeah, it can be good to have someone else. You're saying it could have been worse. Well, we keep saying this is a Prince record, but really, I mean, they are Prince songs and and all that, but he wasn't totally 100% in the project as, like, he's given this to David Z and said, like, you know, you, you know, you look after this because he's got so much going on or whatever. So... It is a Prince album in a way, but it's also like, and we haven't really sort of credited him in this episode, but it's a it's a big David Z kind of thing. And he had sort of like the Midas touch, like he did with Maserati with Song Kiss and all that. Like it was so good that Prince had to rip it back and take it. And Maybe that's one reason why he gave it to him. He's like, well, you killed it with Kiss. Here you yeah. go. Here's a whole album. Go for it. Maybe. But I'm sure Prince still got the final mix and he's like, yeah, I'll just have a little quick bit of fun with this. <laughs> yeah. Let me just fix a few little things there. I'll, I'll have it back to you in the morning. <laughs> you know that happened. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. This has been another episode of the Peach and Black podcast, another album review, and we will be back again next time with more silly, funky analysis and goodness. What's going to be next? I don't know. What's it going to be? <laughs> Thanks for your listening <laughs> company and support and all that kind of good stuff. Thank you for being a Peach and Black listener. Is there a prize? (laughs) We'll catch you next time on The Other Side. You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iTunes, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue your Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., MC, Captain, Player, and ToeJam. Original theme music by yours truly, ToeJam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love the show, please write a review and rate us. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com. 